The following program is brought to you by Podcast One Sportsnet. Don't forget to download our new Podcast One app. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did. Go check out Kyler Murray in his NFL debut. That's my favorite thing about NFL Game Pass. You can go back and watch at any time. And if you haven't watched a condensed game yet, you have to try it out. It's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire NFL game in the fraction of the time it normally takes. It's how I'm able to follow all the MVP candidates, all the breakout stars, and, of course, your waiver wire pickups all season long. To see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at NFL.com slash NFL. The PFF NFL podcast is brought to you by Pluto TV. Pluto TV is the leading free streaming television service. Watch over 100 TV channels and thousands of movies on demand, all completely free. Pluto TV never asks for a credit card. You don't even need to sign up to watch free. Pluto TV is easy and completely legal way to watch your favorite TV shows and hit movies for free. What are you waiting for? Never pay for TV again by downloading Pluto TV. You can download Pluto TV for free on all of your favorite devices today, including your phone, Roku, Amazon Fire, Amazon Fire TV, Apple TV, Smart TVs, PlayStation, and anywhere else you stream. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. It is your week three review. Steve Palazzolo is here with Sam Monson. Sam, we got a pretty ridiculous week three to discuss. We do. Chaos. Did you just pluralize your own name by mistake? It sounded a lot like you said Steve Palazzolo's. Uh, did I? Yeah. No, I, mean, I don't One of you is scary enough. Multiple Steve Palazzolo's would just, that, I mean, that's. Oh, we dominate the football world. We don't want that. That'd be amazing. Can someone clone me? No. Anyone, any of our listeners, any of our millions and millions of listeners, are you capable of cloning me? Pretty sure there's like you know ethical barriers in the way of that. I would do the show with myself. Oh God! Imagine the greatness. Yeah. All right, Sam. Let's get into week three. I don't want to hear about your uh, case of the Mondays and all that stuff. Our listeners don't want to hear it. They just don't. You're in a much better mood this week. Yeah, I think slightly. It was chaos again in week three, and again, I think this is just the beauty of the NFL in any given week. You have zero and two teams every year. There's just zero and two teams that you know step up and play in week three. I think it just shows the NFL, while it seems like sometimes there's just a couple good teams and everybody else is bad or average, I mean, they are pretty close together, and in any given week, you can have the Bills destroying the Vikings and the Lions destroying the Patriots, I guess. Yeah, I mean, week one and two is always a bit of a, a bit of craziness because you don't really know what to expect of the season. Week three is the week where everybody thinks they have a handle on things, so when games go the other way, it really looks weird, so... I mean, the Bills-Vikings is obviously the biggest shock of the weekend. That was a 16.5-point spread towards the Vikings. Right. And they were 24 nothing down just after the end of the first quarter. Um, and <laughs> bizarrely, it basically took them right to the end of the game to even score, to even get on the scoreboard. The Bills that couldn't score for the rest of the game pretty much ended up adding one more field goal. But the whole thing was over in the first quarter. It was insane. Um, the Vikings just couldn't get anything going, kept turning the ball over, kept setting up the Bills in good field position. They were able to to convert that, put up a few big scores on the board. But that Vikings offense just got shut down all game long. That was crazy. They really did. So this was one of those games I think is an argument for not just focusing on the la- on the two games that you saw this season, but a little but last year too. Like last year and the information you have coming into the season counts. We were higher on the Bills than most people until the first two weeks. I think we jumped on the bandwagon and said, okay, this team's terrible. They just get destroyed by the Baltimore Ravens. Um, Week two didn't have a shot again. And so they looked like a terrible team. They didn't have a shot against the Chargers. But this was one of those games that was like last year where you have Tredavious White grading really well in the secondary. You have Micah Hyde grading really well. And you you have Jerry Hughes and Lorenzo Alexander creating a ton 
of pressure off the edge, it wasn't unlike a lot of the defensive performances that we saw last year from Buffalo. It was better than what we saw, but it was this back seven playing really well, especially. Yeah, I think their defense played well, but so much of that was down to this Vikings offense that was just horrendous. What was interesting is that the Bills offense didn't grade well. Yeah, I'm looking it's not at like it. they were racking up a huge amount of points. They just got put in ridiculously good positions by the Vikings offense, turning the ball over and setting them up o- over and over again. Um, Josh Allen graded reasonably well, not exceptionally well. Um, Chris Ivory graded pretty well, but the offensive line in its entirety graded badly. The receivers graded badly. The, this was not a vintage Buffalo offensive performance. It was just the Vikings being that bad and setting them up. And actually, the Vikings defense played okay. It's just that they were set in no-win situations for an awful lot of that game. But I think the story coming out of this game, period, is that that Minnesota Vikings offense was just terrible. I mean, we've come to expect this to be a pretty good unit. We saw a week ago that Kirk Cousins kind of earned the money as being the guy that can bring the team back when things have not gone particularly well. Okay, it didn't go all the way because, you know, they ended up – because the kicker, essentially, they ended up tying. But he brought them back against the Packers didn't happen this week he couldn't bring them back he couldn't get anything done we're late in the game we're down 20 plus points and we're still throwing checkdowns to the fullback in the flat like this was a terrible terrible offensive performance by the vikings and made that buffalo defense look like an all-time great unit it was an offensive line performance that was more in line with what we expected coming into the season from the vikings where they had done okay against san francisco in week one and we said okay who are they really blocking san francisco doesn't have a ton of great pass rushers and then they did pretty well last week against Green Bay, especially in pass protection. And then again, I I gave the credit to Jerry Hughes and Lorenzo Alexander, but of course they beat, you know, guys along the Vikings offensive line. They were terrible. Overall, this is one this is by far their worst graded game of the season, by far Cousins' worst uh, graded game of the season. So now are we getting into the off-season discussion? What can Kirk Cousins do behind an offensive line that's giving up pressure like that? And is Kirk Cousins too volatile to be a 27 million dollar a year quarterback where you have this incredible performance week two against green bay and this horrible performance week three against buffalo well the other thing is we've talked before about how an offensive line is only as good as its weakest link and the vikings two players on the vikings this week riley reef at left tackle and mike remmers at right guard two guys combined to allow 20 total pressures that's, yeah, that's an insane that's number. too many like an offensive line that would be a, I guess, middle of the pack number for an offensive line total over a season. Those guys tend, you know, 160 yeah. total pressures is not an unreasonable number for an entire offensive line to concede uh, over a season. And those guys would, in fact, those guys would double that figure, right? 160 total pressures over 16 games. So those two guys are essentially doubling the number of pressures that an entire offensive line should concede on a weekly basis to be middle of the pack. Reef's the interesting one because I think when you when you saw him as a 2017 acquisition for the Vikings, he was like the, he's like the poster boy for creep back toward average, yeah. right? The, what we talk about with offensive lines, he's just good enough. He'll have some disastrous games like this, but he'll have some good games, and it all evens out to this average to slightly above average performance. But when you you know in this one off game was really really bad overall. You've got a, you have an average left tackle. Well, except Reef. overall, so far with the Vikings, he hasn't been. Like last year, he was bad. Right. The first two weeks of the season, he was average, maybe slightly above average, and then goes back to being terrible again. So I think there's still a big question mark about whether he can even be that average level. Um, and then, yeah, you have those single games where he's terrible, and that's going to be a problem. That, that's the thing, though. So this Vikings offense, Tom Compton played okay. Brett Jones played okay. Rashad Hill played okay at right tackle. Three-fifths of your offensive line was average enough to be fine. But the two-fifths that weren't were bad enough that the entire game could not function. Explodes the entire offense. Um, so Kirk Cousins was under pressure for more than 50% of his dropbacks. And we've, told, we've said that before, right? The kind of magic watershed number is somewhere around 45%. Yeah. If you're up near 50%, it's basically game over. Last season in the NFC Championship game, Case Keenum was at 48% against the Eagles. And we said that was a level that cannot function. Cousins, over 50%, no shot. I'd say that's a little concerning for Minnesota. Massively concerning. But don't worry, they've got the Rams in three days. Yeah. Well, the only good news there is that the Rams' entire secondary appeared to get injured against the Chargers. That is helpful. Banged up Marcus Peters, Aqib Tlaib, 
but yeah, they have that quick turnaround now. Credit the Bills, uh, like I said. So I think the Bills, I don't know if we got, you know, they got torched in weeks one and two, but their defense is still playing pretty well overall in our grading. Um, so even though the points allowed weren't great coming into this game, the defense grading as a whole, especially after this Vikings game, looking pretty good. I still think they're going to be a tough coverage unit, a tough back seven to go against in any given week in Buffalo. Yeah. Uh, the other really big surprise was the Detroit Lions just destroying the New England Patriots. I mean, from the get-go, uh, converting every third down and then stopping New England on third. I mean, just the game flow in this one was as ridiculous as that Army-Oklahoma game the other night where yeah. Army had the ball for like 44 out of 60 minutes. I mean, that's what Detroit was doing to the Patriots. Yeah, what was bizarre is that we kept waiting for this, the Patriots to come back, right? The fact that the, the, the Lions were having success and they were doing well early and blah, blah, blah. We were waiting for the Patriots at some point to wake up and answer, and it just never actually came. They, they were never able to, to get anything going and kind of mount their own comeback because you can get weird games where it's all one team, but the other team kind of scores to match in relatively short order, and it's not, it never gets out of control. Yeah, it usually evens off. Yeah, and it kind of felt... It kind of felt like that may be the way this game goes with the Patriots, that, okay, they've basically had nothing so far, but they're only 10 points down. And for right. the Patriots, that's nothing, right? But it, it just never came. They they never woke up over well, the course of the game. It was the same as the previous week with Jacksonville. They started the comeback. Uh, Brady had that nice touchdown pass, and they started to move the ball a little bit. And it was like, all right, now the Patriots will start to take over. Yeah. Two weeks in a row this happened. Didn't happen. And then Jacksonville shut them down, and Detroit just kept moving the ball offensively. Um, so I think the Patriots' defense, and as as ugly as the offense looks, I think the Patriots' defense could not get off the field. Detroit imposed their will in the running game. I mean, this was like the blueprint game when Detroit was building their team this offseason, and we were joke, we were mocking them a little bit about you know drafting all you know Frank Ragnow and establishing the run with Carryon Johnson and bringing in Legarrette Blunt. Like this was like their poster game that they were creating this offseason. Thirty two carries, hundred forty nine yards on the ground. And just imposing their will. Well, it was it's it was bizarre. This is another one. so the Vikings Bills game was one of those games where it is so completely against what should have happened in that game, right? Nothing says that Buffalo should have just come out there and stomped the Vikings, and somehow it happened. This is almost the same thing. Where other than the fact that the the Patriots roster, top to bottom, when you look at personnel, is actually not that good. And I think they just kind of skate by because everybody assumes it's the Patriots; they're always good, etc. Right. But when you look at where they're strong, right, they are they built this defensive front to stop the run. They have a whole bunch of big bodies in there that should be able to play the run, and they got absolutely abused by this Lions um, offense that, that was able to gash them left, right, and center. So that part didn't make a whole lot of sense. We've been talking about this Lions defensive front that looks like one of the worst in football at times was murdering the Patriots offense, offensive line in particular. Like not necessarily for pressure, but just destroying them against the run game, just controlling them. Again, that didn't make a whole amount of sense. Right. Like Matthew Stafford was the same guy he always is, makes some spectacular plays, made enough mistakes. They didn't have a fantastic PFF grade. But yeah, he missed a couple open touchdowns. Yeah. And he threw the interception that almost you know let the Patriots back into the game. Yeah, so he was you know the same guy he always is, I think. But it was just it was weird to see the Lions defensive front get made to look so good and New England's defensive front which is essentially built to stop the run get completely eviscerated by the Lions run game yeah Malcolm Brown who's usually a very good run defender poor grade uh, Danny Shelton not so hot I mean uh, they did not play well up front in New England you also have this point it, it's one of those things when you're trying to beat the Patriots and every posi- every possession counts when you control the ball that much and then the Patriots they can't go three and out, right? Because then, yeah. then Detroit gets the ball for another five or six minutes. And Detroit makes two stops on third and ones where the Patriots try to run their quick outside zone scheme. And that's like, Patricia was on it. That's what they do. They rush up to the line. They run that quick outside zone. Patricia was all over it. So I think there was some preparation in there as well. Uh, offensively, New England looking like a disaster. You could tell Brady's frustration when he starts chucking those jump balls down the field saying, hey, get me some receivers. So we'll see what happens if and when. Josh, Josh Gordon gets into the lineup and then two weeks with Julian Edelman I think that'll determine what this offense looks like if they're still struggling with those guys then New England's got some serious issues I particularly liked late in the game where they were just straight up double teaming Rob Gronkowski like a vice like like 
uh, two corners on the gunner and a it's punt what, team. It's what Houston did week one. Houston did that 10 or 12 times in week one. And if you, you should absolutely do it. But teams, this has never truly happened in the NFL. Yeah. Where people talk about, oh, they double-teamed Randy Moss. When they talked about double-teaming Randy Moss, that was cover two, right? Yeah. You have a corner and you have a safety over the top. You, you've never truly seen a guy have two players dedicated to him away from the goal line. Goal yeah. line, it happens all the time. Julio yeah. does it. Tony Gonzalez used to get at certain teams. Away from the goal line, just two guys cover Gronk, mm-hmm. meaning we're perfectly fine having man coverage against Chris Hogan, Philip Dorsett, Cordero Patterson, and whatever running back you're trotting out there. Yep. And they're 100% right. That's exactly what you should be doing. And this is why Edelman and or Gordon perhaps eases well, that particularly a Gordon, right? Because he's, in theory, the deep play threat. He's the one-on-one matchup guy on the right. outside. If you put two guys and you single cover him, for any quarterback, that should be... I mean, that's what we talked about last year with Alex Smith. He, he looks up, either Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey is one-on-one. The ball is going there. Like, that's just an immediate read. Now, with the Patriots, that would be your Josh Gordon thing. You look up, Josh Gordon is one-on-one on the outside of the cornerback. That's where the ball's going. I don't right. care what else happens in this play. I'm going to give him a shot. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens. They need that as early as Sunday because they're playing the 3-0 Miami Dolphins. How good are the Dolphins, Sam? They're 3-0. and We keep dismissing them here on the podcast, saying they're not interesting. But here they are at 3-0, and and Ryan Tannehill putting up ridiculous numbers. Yeah, Ryan Tannehill being back is big for them. And he dropped a an absolute dime at one point in that game to the back of the end zone to Kenny Stills, I he think. Did. It was a fantastic pass. That is one of the passes of the week. But let's just take a look at who they've played. Week 1. Tennessee Titans, Week 2, New York Jets, Week 3, Oakland Raiders. Now, all three of those, t- those teams may well suck. So, I, it, look, the, the Dolphins Titans game was weird, right? That was, it took six hours to complete it. Yes. It was a weird game. Yeah, like rain delays endlessly. So, look, I think members of this team are playing well. I think they do have some talent there. Um, the offensive line is still a major concern. There's some guys on defense playing well. I just think it's a little bit early to get too excited yet. Yes, they're 3-0. and no, they haven't played anybody of consequence yet. So let's just let's just put a pin in it, right? We'll come back to it in a couple of weeks' time, and then we'll see what the Dolphins are made of. It is one of those teams that's making good use of a unique group of playmakers. You mentioned Kenny Stills and what he brings from a speed standpoint. You have Amendola, but you also have Albert Wilson and uh, Jakeem Grant grading well. They're using them on trick plays. They're using them, um, you know, as uh, you know, just movable weapons. That's the interesting part to me is they're piecing together this offense, which still has an offensive line that's not great. And, and again, Tannehill statistically looks great. Average, you know, good to above average grade. So they're doing something in the passing game to put up those numbers, and it's using guys like Wilson and Grant and uh, you know, take advantage of, taking advantage of their unique skill sets. Yeah, Kenyon Drake as well, obviously. We oh, need to of talk course. about Kenyon Drake. Of course. Importantly, he's at least getting significantly more snaps than Frank Gore, so my nightmare scenario heading into the season isn't quite coming to pass. Right. Um, I also, I've requested that you do a YouTube video on our channel this week on Xavier Howard, mm-hmm. just because your scouting report on him coming out of college has just been perfect. And you and I, I remember sitting down at the Combine, actually, we were... You were like, you got to watch this guy's tape, and that was the first time I had really, you know, dug into Xavier Howard tape. And we, it was a number of plays where we just put our hands on our head and just said, "What are you doing?" And another, another number of plays where we said, "You look like Richard Sherman." Mm-hmm. And we saw that last year as well. There were games, stretches of play where you could not throw against him, and he just had great ball skills and body location and everything. And he's picking passes off like he did yesterday. And then other times he looks completely lost. It's yeah, amazing. There was like a five-game stretch last year where he allowed like 30 yards in coverage or something insane. And two of those games came against the Patriots, I think. So, yeah, he's had stretches of play that were pretty phenomenal. Even this week, six targets, two catches, had two interceptions, a pass breakup, um, you know, monster great. Didn't allow Martavis Bryant to catch anything. Had that one play uh, where Jordy Nelson got him for a long catch. But that's basically one play was what he allowed right. yesterday for a big – for a big Jordy Nelson gain. But outside of that, he was pretty much shut down. Yeah, so I mean, he's just one of those interesting players. Where in any given, this, is what, this is what drives me nuts about the Dolphins. Because you can look at the grades, and Howard's grade never looks great. You're like, oh, that's a weakness. But in any given week, he looks like Richard Sherman. Yeah. So it's tough to, uh, they're tough to predict. So they're headed to New England next week, 3-0 and 
against the one and two Patriots. Who would have thought? Yeah, well, that's now a big game, right? Because Huge. the Dolphins, the Dolphins do need to prove that they're for real against some kind of legit competition. And the Patriots, I mean, we we talked before about how they kind of mail in September at times. You know, they've they've had ugly records in September in the past, and they've never really been too concerned. And you know that they're going to go on a run and win eight, nine, ten of the next games yeah. round up the season in charge. But if you end up going what three games behind the Dolphins in the division one and th- uh, one and three to start the season, I mean that's bad, right? It's not yeah. a, at, at the very least you're putting yourself in a significant hole to climb out of. You know why this one? People keep saying this one feels different, and you know why it feels different is because the previous issues in September have been on one side of the ball. Yeah, you know when the 2014 season, Brady and the offense were struggling for a month, and the, but you're like, wait, they got Revis. This defense, even though they got lit up by Kansas City that year their defense was still overall good last year their defense was a disaster and Brady's still looking really good in the so you figured they're going to figure it out this is both sides of the ball in New England have serious issues three weeks into the season and there's typically an obvious kind of fix you know like last season there was just a ton of coverage bus in right. the back end and it's okay we need to get that under control and then we're then we're okay then we're better than we look right now there's no obvious fix to this, right? Uh, unless Josh Gordon comes in, it turns out he's the new Randy Moss from 07, which I guess is possible, but not exactly you know, a likely thing given Josh uh, Gordon's previous history. Yes, like if that's there's a lot not, of projection there. If that isn't your fix, you've got some pretty major issues to overcome. Yeah, we'll see. So they're playing uh, Miami this weekend. Huge game. We'll have the preview, of course, later in the week. Uh, next up on my topic list here is just Baker Mayfield stuff. Mm-hmm. We just have to talk about Baker. Okay. I did predict the outcome at the last podcast. We, yeah, you did. You you can see the future, it turns out. Now, I did not predict Brady throwing for more than 391. I told you that was my this best. So that, was, that, that part went, I was off. That went south. But the Baker Mayfield thing, I told you he was going to come in relief, save the Browns. Yeah. Did um, he save the Browns? Yes. And what was weird is how immediate it was that that was going to happen. So I, I'm I not felt, saying, but I felt so much confidence. I was tweeting it throughout the night. I was like, "Are you interested in a comeback? It's time." This is. I, I had so much confidence that this confidence that it was going to happen as soon as he came on the field and like two passes into it, you're like, "Okay, this is happening." He's yeah, actually he's bringing them back and they're going to win. There was no equivocation about it. It's like Baker Mayfield is immediately turning this team around and they are now a thing. Like it, it felt different. It absolutely felt different, and it just, um, you know, Tyrod. I know that's your buddy. Well, look, Taylor, was not great for three straight games. I not really even think- not great. Like the thing about Tyrod Taylor is, I've said all along that he has been a good quarterback that you you can win with. Not this season, right? Tyrod Taylor this season has been crap. He's he's been terrible this year, and I don't I don't think necessarily the Browns were wrong to start the season with Tyrod Taylor as their quarterback. If you got the guy that you'd had for the last three years playing at that level, I think that may have given that was a, certainly a safer bet. And starting a rookie from day one because who knows no matter how good he's looking in practice etc who knows how that's going to translate as soon as you put him on the field right so starting in week one i don't think was wrong but this was not the tyrod taylor we've seen from the past few years i don't know if it's the pressure of having a number one pick behind him if you just got the three worst games of his career back to back to open this season i have no idea what the story was but Tyrod Taylor this year, ironically, has basically been everything that people have criticized him for in the past three years all at once. Like every negative, none of the positives, and he's been terrible. Then you put in Baker Mayfield. It's his job now. He's steering the ship there, and it's only been a half, right? But it's been a half backed up by an entire preseason where he was the best graded quarterback, backed up by multiple college seasons where he's been the best guy we've ever seen. It's, it's back to this Patrick Mahomes thing, right? It's the every single data point we have so far on Baker Mayfield says he is awesome. Right. And it's, it's kind of fun because you get, you get bogged down in this, how do we identify a franchise quarterback and what are the things to look for? And yeah, but this guy's kind of good. Can he get better and blah, blah. When you see a guy that is, that is truly special, it just looks different. And there's no I, there's no way of quantifying it. It's why people get caught up in those stupid terms like it factor and you know the X factor and all this kind of stuff. Just these intangibles, right? That's why they're called intangible. But there is something to it. It was one pass into that Baker Mayfield game. You sent me a text. And you're like, he's gonna do this. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I know. And absolutely. Like I'm not even. This this wasn't even a joke. It was. We were both convinced one pass into this that Baker Mayfield was bringing the Browns back. But the thing about Baker. I, th- I think it is 
it isn't just the it fact. It's the quantifiable part of it. Oh, that I, too. But I mean, I had confidence in him because of all the data and the numbers behind it. Yeah. Right? But you've seen guys that have spectacular numbers and data who go out there and it just doesn't quite look I right. understand. The thing about the it factor, though, is two years ago I was like, all right, Dak has it. Dak, had, Dak, two years ago, I was most impressed with the fact that he would have game. He had two or three disastrous games. He was missing throws left and right, but he would always bounce back. And he would always find a way to get it done. And now we're sitting here doubting ourselves. Yeah. I'm, already talking, I'm already hearing people talking about the Cowboys looking for a QB in the draft so and the all difference, this stuff. The difference there is the day that you have to fall back on, right? It's, yes, anybody can have that stretch of, I mean, we said before, small sample size, anything can happen, right? Sure. So anybody can look great in that period of time but when you go back to Dak so when you look back at Dak's career like well the data didn't really support him that much in college and there's plenty of bad and now when it starts to disappear it's like okay maybe the whole maybe the whole thing was built on this house of cards you know and the whole thing's going to come down with Baker it's like okay but in addition to looking like it you've got all this college data everything like I say every data point we have says he's fantastic therefore there's more confidence that that the ed factor you've seen there is going to continue in a way that it isn't. It, it doesn't look like it is for Dak Prescott. Yeah, I'm expecting Baker to keep it up. Of course, um, still early in his career too, so we have to be fair on both ends. A couple bad plays in there that he got away with too: dropped interception in the end zone, bad fumble, fumble on the two point conversion. But also maybe his best play didn't count because was it Callaway dropped it down the left side? That was his best line? throw, I think. Yeah, yeah, put it right on his hands. And also, by the way, the velocity he was throwing with. Just unbelievable. This just is a cannon. This is the thing that he never got credit for in the entire draft process. People started to finally concede because, that he had a good arm. Because Josh Allen was in this draft, Baker Mayfield never got credit for having a strong arm. Whereas he had the second best arm in this draft By class. By far. And the first best arm in this draft class was like the best arm, one of the best arms we've seen in the past 25 yes. years, right? Yep. So if you take that guy away everybody would be talking about how strong Baker Mayfield's arm is. Like, yes, he's only 6'1", but the dude has a cannon. And therefore, that would have, like, in the, the overall scheme of things, that would have assuaged a lot of people's concerns about the fact that he's only 6'1", once you show him the cannon. But he never got the credit for that because Josh Allen was in the same draft class. No, that's a fair point. Uh, so we expect a different Cleveland Browns team going forward because I don't think yeah. that they're, we've been saying for a while, their roster's not bad. I think he's got some playmakers to throw to. Mm-hmm. I think he can. He made the offensive line look better. They they blitzed. I, sorry, I got to pull the number up. Tyrod was blitzed uh, a ridiculous amount of time, and th- he just couldn't stop. He just couldn't do anything with it. He just could not do anything. But all of a sudden, when Baker Mayfield came in, he, they weren't getting pressured left and right from the blitz. Yeah, Mayfield blitzed eleven times. Tyrod blitzed five times. No, hang on, I'm looking the other way. Thirteen. Thirteen for, out of eighteen. Yeah, thirteen. Thirteen for, out of eighteen. He was two for nine for five yards with three sacks and four throwaways. Yes. So th- both guys were blitzed thirteen times with Tyrod thirteen of eighteen, Baker thirteen of twenty four. Uh, Baker against the blitz nine of thirteen hundred and three yards. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. So, yeah. so like that that whole dynamic changed because. When I was saying, hey, put Baker in, there was a lot, you know, you get the fans that say, oh, well, he can't block for himself, but he can. Quarterbacks actually can do that. He got rid of the ball quicker. He made good decisions. I think it's a completely different Browns offense. He'll make the offensive line look better. He'll we get saw, the most out of those playmakers. We saw in one microcosm, in one half of football plus the two-minute drill, everything that we said about him during the draft process, which is, yes, there is a lot of, um, there is a gray area of, percentage that he was helped by the offensive scheme by the offensive line by the fact that the big 12 don't play defense there's all of these things that are legitimate criticisms but what they do is they introduce a fuzzy line of percentage right how much does that weigh right right yes it is a thing i agree with you 100 percent. he play he threw more screen passes than almost any of these guys the big 12 defense sucks etc etc right all these things are true but how much should they ding what you're seeing on tape so, and that's the thing nobody has an answer to, right? Yes, it should affect his evaluation, but by how much? And the point we were always making is that if you ignore this stuff, if you put this to one side and say, we don't know how much to quantify this, we're just going to leave it be for a minute, focus on the stuff over here, which is the NFL-relevant stuff that is not arguable. It's like, this is a tight window throw. This is not an easy thing that's dictated by the Big 12, blah, blah, blah. You focus only on this stuff, and he's still the best guy in the draft class by a distance, right? And that's what we saw in, in this, 
is that even when he was under pressure, he plays well. When there is tight windows, he's delivering you know absolute daggers to the heart of that defense on you know a dig right that wasn't even really open. He just put it the only place it could be. Yep. All those things. It's exactly what we're saying all the way through the draft process. If you focus just on the situations where he isn't in an advantageous position, he's still fantastic. Yeah. So looking forward to it. Looking forward to seeing seeing him moving forward. If he sucks next week. We're going to look really dumb. Yeah, it's all right. It's um, it's the it's about the whole career, Sam. It's not about the week to week. It's no, not it's about a, the roller coaster ride. Take it one week at a time, and therefore you're wrong. And then geniuses from week to week. Well, that's why we podcast twice a week because we have to react to stuff. Uh, let's discuss the Falcons for a minute. They uh, they lose to the Saints, fall to one and two. Matt Ryan looks better. Yes, now that he's back playing in a dome, not outdoors against Philadelphia, week one. The Falcons' defense is broken, and Calvin Ridley looks like what we thought he might look like coming out, which makes the Falcons' offense uh, kind of dangerous. All of a sudden, are the Falcons now going to start playing this Chiefs role, where we're going to play? They're going to play Big Twelve games too. Uh, well, th- yeah, it's, they're certainly a part of that, but for a different reason. I mean, the Chiefs just didn't have any talent; still don't have any talent really on defense. Um, the Falcons had talent; it's all injured now, right? Um, they were like, so they had a couple of bad matchups heading into this game, like Brian Poole in the slot versus Michael Thomas in the slot is a monster mismatch or something like a 30 point swing in terms of PFF grade on those two guys lined up in the slot. So that was an obvious mismatch that myself and Neil highlighted on the, the sky broadcast this week. If you're and in you the were UK, right. yeah, pool. Um, and that was a huge mismatch. Also, Michael Thomas, by the way, is 11 catches ahead of the pace to set the single-season receptions record after three games. Which is 143, right? Yes. Marvin Harrison, Still, 143. Yeah. So that's, he's like a whole game ahead of the pace already. Crazy. After three games. Like, Averaging a little over 10 yards a catch. I mean, you could see. I mean, Breeze, Breeze is just taking all the underneath stuff and converting third. I mean, Breeze is completing over 80% of his passes, Breeze too. Breeze has now set the all-time completion record. Yes. Um, Not oh, surprised. Yep. Uh, so, so there was a couple of obvious mismatches, but the Falcons are just they're, they're losing bodies. Everybody they had on defense that's talented is going down hurt. The only guy left standing is like Grady Jarrett on his own up front getting things done. So now they've lost what both starting safeties, Keanu Neal and Ricardo Allen. Yep, and Deion of course, Jones. Deion Jones at linebacker, the most important linebacker in the game. Maybe yeah. you could make the case. So they're uh, they're really piecing it together. I mean, Jordan Richards is seeing significant snaps for them. Jordan so. Richards made the first good play I've seen in his NFL career in this game. Good for him. He was able to somehow blow up the, the front side of an outside zone play at the goal line, basically bottle up the run so that somebody else was able to dive on the running back and stop them punching it in for a touchdown. I think it was fourth down, actually. It was a genuinely amazing play, and yet it still wasn't enough to make him grade well over the course of a game. Yeah, he's rough But still, there, kudos so. for the one good play, Jordan. So the Falcons might have some issues defensively. Offensively, looking much better. Matt Ryan threw five scores. The red zone offense, all of a sudden, they're a little bit more creative. They're able to punch it in. Um, or, I mean, or do we just chalk it up to, hey, them and the Saints, they're so this, just, they always play these ridiculous games. This game is, why, is an example of why when you're talking about betting on football, it always has to be large sample size stuff, right? Because in any given game, you're going to get screwed. Uh, and this is a perfect. This game was a perfect example of how that could go. Could have gone either way. Yeah. All the way through, including into overtime, there were like two or three different scenarios where the the Atlanta plus the points was still easily doable. You know, the co- covering the bet on the Falcons side was gonna was was the way to go, and yet it ends up going the other way, and it's a seven point game because um, sorry, six point game because the Saints are the team that gets the touchdown. But this was essentially a razor-thin coin flip game almost for its entirety that the Saints ended up coming out on top uh, against late pr- pretty much because the Falcons weren't able to stop the Saints when it, when it mattered most. But this, it's just, I think it's just an interesting matchup that you see. You know, Everyone wants to go, were you right or were you wrong about a game coming out of it? And honestly, almost no matter which way you went in this game, you were right or wrong, they were, yeah. they were right there. It, Division was, a, games. it was a coin flip. Division games in in general, I think, are brutal. They 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 tend to have crazy stuff happen anyway. Um, from an Atlanta offensive point of view, Julio catches all five targets for ninety six yards, but then it's Calvin Ridley again catching seven out of eight for one forty six and three touchdowns. We saw the deep ball speed. We saw some of the route running. I mean that this is one of those things we were saying for Atlanta. They were missing last year. 
They had it in 2016. They had better compliments. Now Ridley, Julio, Sanu, it's a very dangerous offense when all, with, with, with a guy like Ridley emerging. Yeah, and I, 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 I was really amazed how much better Matt Ryan's arm looked. You know, we talked in that first game that his arm just looked horrendous. Dome. It's the dome versus He was in a dome last play. week, and his arm didn't look as good. Like, it's come back. I, I don't know if he was injured rolling into the season, but... Could be that camp dead arm. Um, Zach had mentioned something like that, that too. Guys, uh, guys but deal he with, looked you know? fine. Like, he was throwing some deep balls in this game that looked okay. He got kind of screwed on another one that should have been pass interference, even if it wasn't. It wasn't good location, but it, was, it had right. the distance. Um, so, yeah, Matt Ryan looks impressive. Calvin Ridley is that perfect complement piece. Um, and we said it heading into the season that he could have a really big rookie year because he's good at the stuff that is hard to be good at right away, the route running, understanding how to manipulate defenders and get into the right areas. It also, there was one play that was basically his scouting report in a nutshell. It's He's really good at getting open, which he's going to need to be because he doesn't catch the ball particularly well. Right. And there was a dig he ran that got decent separation, which he needed because he had to double catch the ball, and he needed that extra time for the hit to come in behind. If the right. guy had hit him before he had a chance to second catch it, it would have come out. Not so, a smooth hands catcher. He's not. And it's not necessarily the worst thing in the world. You know, Obviously, you want your receiver to have the best hands in the league, but most of them don't. So if you're going to have a guy that is not the most natural receiver in the world, it helps that he's going to get wide open and give himself the opportunity to be able to double catch the ball when it arrives. Yeah, it makes sense. You definitely want um, guys getting open, underrated part of playing wide receiver there, Sam. It is. I mean, honestly, it sounds stupid, but it's the single most important thing, right? Don't look for the guy that can make spectacular Odell Beckham catches. Look for the guy that gets open by, like, just that you can't live with in his route running. Understands not just... So everyone thinks about route running as just can you make a really crisp cut at the you know at the point in which you make your break and that's part of it, but so much of route running or at least the next level of route running is understanding the subtle moves you need to make to manipulate the defenders around you. So Ridley is really good at that. If he wants to run an out, just a simple out route, right? But the guy is sitting with leverage where he needs to be. He knows how to release off the line, how to move that guy to the other side so that he doesn't have to like fight through him right. physically. He just understands how to run a route in such a way that guy will get out of his way voluntarily. How would DJ Chark run that route? He'd run straight into the corner and probably fall over. <laughs> so you did a nice job breaking down that um, Ridley's ability on the, se- on the website. I think we pushed that back to the uh, profootballfocus.com homepage if you guys want to read uh, Sam's breakdown of Ridley coming out of college and how good he was at uh, manipulating defenders as a route runner. Pretty good read. A quick break to tell you about our friends over at MyBookie. We've been using them all season, so of course I'm recommending them. That's where we go to uh, place a little wager, especially when you're getting the information from PFF Elite, PFF Greenline. That's why I always go to MyBookie. I trust these guys. They've been in business for years. They've got great reviews online, and the mobile site is easy to use. So I'm urging you to go to my bookie. You win, they pay. They have in-game live betting over-unders on fantasy points scored and the most rewarding player perks in the business. Now, here's the thing, Sam. They're slammed with new bettors over at my bookie. So what they want you to do is to deposit after 7 p.m. That's what they want. Okay. After 7 p.m., and they'll give you an additional $25 free on deposits over 100 bucks. So all you have to do is wait till after 7 you get an extra 25 bucks. Use the promo code PFF25. So PFF25, after 7 p.m., so you finish dinner, put the kids to bed, then go make your deposit over 100 bucks. You'll get $25 free. They'll also match you dollar for dollar when you use that promo code PFF. So visit MyBookie online today. That's M-Y-B-O-O-K-I-E, yeah. MyBookie. And don't forget to use the promo code PFF25. And you could claim up to $1,000 in free play. And this is the podcast to do it on because the earlier in the week is when, is when the green line stuff really shines. Like a lot, of, a lot of lines move over the course of the week yeah. and they come back to the PFF line and you lose the bet, right? Because George, George had the line a couple weeks ago. He said, you make your money on Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday is the day. When does green line is what? Midnight ticks over, tonight? Ticks over midnight. Yeah, midnight Monday. All right. So midnight Monday. Get to my bookie on Tuesday. So, th- so here's what I would do: is tonight you deposit after 7 p.m. Mm-hmm. They'll match you for dollar for dollar. Get, get your, your free in. 25 dollars. Then Tuesday morning is when you 
Tuesday, you use your bets. It's when you hit your bets with Green Line. All right. So if you're willing to hold out till after 7 p.m., you get the extra $25 free play using the promo code PFF25. It's up to you guys, but I would wait till after dinner and then put that money in. My bookie, you play, you win, you get paid. All right. What else we got from the rest of the league? I wrote a couple notes here. J.J. Watt creeping back to elite. Yeah. Or he, he just was beat big. up on some bad Giants. Well, he did beat up on some bad players. So Eric Flowers got benched, which is a great idea in theory, except his replacement is Chad Wheeler, so it probably doesn't actually make a difference. Chad Wheeler was getting his ass kicked so bad by J.J. Watt that the Giants were legitimately putting him one-on-one with tight end Rhett Ellison as an alternative, and honestly, it may not have been a worse plan. Rhett's good. I mean, he's good. Um Probably not as a tackle, but he's a, he's probably as good a tackle as Chad Wheeler is, so it was functioning okay. One of those, he's a good blocking tight end. Yeah, for sure. So a good blocking tight end versus a bad blocking tackle. Where's the crossover there? I mean, it's it's probably somewhere in it's that Red Ellison Chad Wheeler range, right? That's what Lee Smith has been known for for years. Yeah, tight end slash O lineman. Uh, so Texans lose anyway. Yeah. But um, was there an easier bet? in football heading into the season than the under on the Texans season, by the way? Well, I took the under on the Giants. Okay. So that could still that could still be there. This was a battle of two teams that in certain circles had high expectations that we were very low on mm-hmm. as a company. Um, so somebody had to win. Yep. Well, unless they tied. Uh, but the Texans, again, our preseason take – Weak in the wrong spots. Secondary offensive line and a regression from Deshaun Watson is not a good formula for success. No. Um, their offensive line allowed 19 total pressures as a unit to the Texans, uh, which, as we said, is a lot. That yeah, it's was, getting bad. So that's in the region of double, the average for a week, which is what the two players of the Minnesota Vikings accounted for. So that's just a sort of sliding scale of uselessness from right. average to bad to oh no um is what we've seen there but again that's it's that was the problem right it's yes deshaun watson is good and deshaun watson graded well here but he's behind the worst offensive line in football and that is going to be a problem at some point yeah so not looking good in houston um do you want to just whip around the rest of the league with some quick hitters okay we're just winging it here sure uh jared goff Mm -hmm. unbelievable yesterday yeah uh, he did have so he was, it was a weird game actually because his bat his misses he only had a handful of misses some of them were bad end zone interception should have had another pick he had a couple bad ones in there but he yeah. was dropping big time throws tight window dimes out of structure plays um, you know pl- back shoulder type throws up and away from coverage and in addition to the the general well schemed up plays by Sean McVay that's a it's a dangerous offense when Goff's playing like Also, that. the end zone interception was Derwin James' majesticness. Oof, he's amazing. Majestic, that's not a word, but you know what I'm saying. I, I, was, I was so quick to put the video on Twitter, and everybody was so quick to say, well, he ran it out of the end zone and took it out at the two. <laughs> and then they had a blocked punt for a touchdown. Whatever. In the end zone. Um, but whatever, Derwin's awesome. That was bad play calling, by the way. Yes. Why, what, the one thing you should not do when you're backed up at your own one-yard line is do the thing that everybody does, which is we're just going to run a dive up the middle and yeah, try right. and buy ourselves two yards. It's terrible. Worst thing you could possibly do, and it cost them. This was an interesting game because everybody was getting injured. Right, The Chargers' offensive line was falling to pieces at the same time the Rams' secondary was falling to pieces. It was almost like which one is going to collapse first for this to be a thing. Yeah. Um, what was interesting, though, is, is Goff. It's because heading into the game, we were saying that Goff – Whatever you say about Goff right now in terms of how good he is, he is unquestionably at the mercy or dependent on the offensive scheme, which is not a bad thing because he probably has the best offensive scheme in the league to play under, right? So you're like, okay, he's dependent on it, but it's a really good thing, so it's propping him up, and it's really helping. This was the game, though, where he took that next step and went, okay, I'm going to take all the stuff you're giving me. I'm going to add to it with some crazy throws that I haven't been doing so far. So those out-of-structure plays and the, the absolute dimes through you know minuscule windows. One right along the sideline in between the cover two hole, like which if is he, really nice. If he can do that on top of the stuff that Sean McVay can scheme him up, that Rams offense is terrifying because he hasn't been able to do that so far consistently, and that's what separates those very top-end quarterbacks. It's the ability to the, the value add that they bring to what's already there. And, and a big part of him, even last year, we had the really nice stats – 
his accuracy numbers, if you guys have the QB annual, his accuracy numbers weren't great. He just had a high percentage of open throws. Particularly deep. Yeah, especially yeah, particularly deep. But I mean, even on like the crossers that you just always see that are open, it was one of those, ah, he's putting it on the back shoulder, he's slowing his guy down. It's still better than missing it. Yeah. You're still making it catchable, but there's still like this next level accuracy-wise that he could take, uh, this next step that he could take. Yesterday was really nice. Some of the throws that he was making. The Chargers, I mean... They're doing it again. Yeah. Us. They're disappointing again. The, the I mean the offensive line just falls apart at top pieces. What is with that? But how much I wanna how much are they dependent on Joey Bosa? No Joey Bosa, no pass rush, the coverage is falling apart on the back end. Mm-hmm. You know, Casey Hayward, you know, it's just not the same it's not the same group. Yeah, they, they their defense ago. does look uh, looked like it has major problems at the moment, which is weird. They're, they're secondary. That that elite coverage unit has not played like it so far this season. Not at all. Um, and then, you know, poor old Phillip Rivers is again trying to drag this team with no offensive line. It's just, that's depressing. Year after year. So he was pressured over half of his snaps as well. Uh, passer rating 143 drops to 63. Clean pocket versus pressure. That, that'll change the game. If, if half of your snaps are under pressure. Yeah. That becomes a game changer. If only thirty percent are under under pressure, you've got a chance. Thirty percent is more. fine. Forty percent is starting to become a problem. Forty five is usually game over, and anything of fifty is just forget about it. Yeah, so that's uh, not great. Uh, so for the Chargers, not ready to write them off, but once again, early season not looking like what we thought they would be. But again, what would they start? Zero four last year or zero five? I don't even remember. I think it was zero five, wasn't it? So next game I want to talk about. The Cincinnati Bengals losing to the Carolina Panthers. And the reason I want to talk about this one is because Christian McCaffrey carried the ball 28 times. He can't do that. He's too in small. In this game, which, I mean, aside from the fact that, yes, he did it and, yes, he held up well, um, I think has got to be. Played every snap. By far the highest total of his career, right? What did Played he a career year? high 100% of the offensive It, snaps. in fact, almost doubles his previous high in terms of carries. So what in what the hell did the Panthers see on tape to say we're just going to pound Christian McCaffrey all day against the Bengals defense? I think it was what we mentioned in the um I can't so now all my stuff I'm doing is blending together. I put mm-hmm. out a mock draft today where I gave the Bengals a linebacker. Yeah. And I can't remember if I focused on No, this was our my pregame matchup to watch was McCaffrey versus the Bengals linebackers. Before this game, he had four career games with 10 or more um carries and none over 15 and he just went 28 and part and tw- of that was 28 28 for 184 yards broke eight tackles yeah it was pretty good it's almost like I, he can do that i think they were looking at the bengals linebackers who have not been good for multiple years now and they got you know hardy nickerson struggling nick vigil struggling i mean they just dominated the linebacker level and that's exactly what it was yeah because the the um the defensive front the front line the defensive line for the Bengals played okay Andrew Billings graded well against the run Carlos Dunlap great well against the run Ryan Glasgow good against the run Glasgow not Glasgow um Mm, graded well against the run so the the defensive line played well it's just that all of the linebackers were bad Nickerson four missed tackles Vigil had three yeah so they combined for seven out of the Bengals 10 missed tackles offensively I know we could spend a whole show on how to build an offense around Cam Newton. We've done it before, but here he is running for touchdowns, passing for touchdowns. Same old guy where he's not going to be this pristine passer, but he's so dangerous. And again, I just need this. Got to see if he can maintain this week-to-week consistency. It's a different... That he's done once in his career. (laughs) It's a different way, uh, but it's the same feeling I get when watching Michael Vick in terms of just pure admiration and awe. Yeah. the freaky athlete that he is. Like Michael Vick, it was all speed and, speed and agility and athleticism. But when Cam Newton takes off, you're just like, how freaking huge is that guy? Right. He's making linebackers look like they're, you know, small defensive backs. And he's the same size as defensive ends, only he runs like a wide receiver. Like when he takes off, I, like every single time you watch Cam Newton, I'm just consistently left with this feeling of awe of what a freaky athlete he is in the same way that you were when you watched Mike Vick play. He has uh, 28 carries on the season, by the way, Cam Newton. Mm-hmm. So 13. Three games. Yeah, 13, then five. Where they, so the, the game last week, he had to play a little bit more catch-up against Atlanta, so they threw the ball more. But week one, 
where they were more in control of the game against Dallas, and then last, yesterday when they were more in control of the game against Cincinnati, ten plus carries. I think that's the full, I think that's what we're looking at mm-hmm. is them saying Cam and McCaffrey in the backfield in this perfect world for Carolina is get control of the game, give McCaffrey twenty, give Cam ten, and, and run the clock. So we need to fly through some more games. The Tennessee Titans beat the Jacksonville Jaguars nine to six in a game in which Blaine Gabbert is so bad that the Titans decided their better option was to put out the quarterback that can't feel his hand. Numb-handed Marcus Mariotas. Yeah, Marcus is sitting there going, I can't actually feel the ball, and they're going, it doesn't matter. You're still a better shot than Blaine Gabbert of winning this game. And they were right. He played reasonable. Yeah, so that's got to depress you if you're Blaine. And then we had this big argument about Blake Bortles, and you said he's bad, and I said he's reasonable, and Mm -hmm. this was bad Bortles. There you go. This was bad, bad Bortles after two weeks of good. Mm -hmm. Um, Jacksonville... A week ago, because they beat the Patriots pretty handily, they were supposed to. Yeah, they're supposed to be number two in the power rankings for everybody. Yeah, but Blaine, uh, Blake Bortles, um, tough to rely on Blake. So Patrick Mahomes did more freaky Patrick Mahomes things, but the thing to come out of that game is that Jimmy G is done. Do we have to pour out, pour one out for Jimmy? I don't know. So we're not take. going to. You're going to have to tune in to the forecast. Okay. They they. Um, well, George must be in mourning at this point. Yeah, he's real sad. Yeah, but they do. Um, what did they do, Matt? They do the um, the eulogies. The so eulogy. they do eulogies for guys that are out for the season. So okay. you guys can go get your Jimmy G eulogy uh, from our friends over at the PFF forecast. You know what, what that highlights? The stupidity of this protect the quarterback hit thing. You know, you can't fall on a quarterback because you might hurt him. And then Jimmy G just tries to cut and his knee explodes on him. Like, well, don't let quarterbacks cut. He, that was an un... That was an un it was... There was contact in the hit that happened after he was collapsing because his knee just buckled from under him. But essentially, his knee buckled entirely independent of anything. Like, he just tried to make a cut to come back in field. Now, that you can highlight as questionable in and of itself. But he tried to make a cut. His knee buckled, torn ACL, and possibly another ligament, I think I saw somebody say. But you can't – this is why this whole thing is ridiculous. You cannot protect quarterbacks from just getting injured. It's going to happen. Like, you can save them. I'm all for saving them from the egregious hits where it's just like, okay, you're basically taking the piss now. You shouldn't have been able to hit the guy like that. But let these guys play football because you cannot save quarterbacks from just getting injured as long as they're going to go down in non-contact injuries like this. I said don't let him cut. It's his fault. He went full Bledsoe on that. That's how Bledsoe ended his career with the Patriots. You You can't. Like expect the quarterback to legislate for the idea that anytime he puts his foot in the ground, his knee's just going to collapse him from under him. Fair. Well, so sorry, 49ers. That's tough. I feel for them. People. Are, so somebody tweeted this morning. I don't remember who it was, but should the 49ers just roll with C.J. Beathard? Yes. Or should they like go full Vikings and Colin draft Kaepernick. a quarterback or trade for a quarterback? Colin Kaepernick. Okay. Or should they go full like trade? And dra- you know, go full Vikings and trade for a quarterback. No, they're not good enough. Who exactly? Who on oh, earth? Oh, go get Bradford. <laughs> Bradford's been benched. <laughs> Who on earth thinks that is a good idea? Yes, this team. This team needs to go send a first round pick to somebody for a quarterback right now. First rounder? No. Interestingly enough, though, if the Niners felt good about themselves, which I in the loaded NFC, I wouldn't. They can't possibly feel that good, right? Go find Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, if the first three high rod. If the first three weeks of this season are showing anything, it's that the 49ers really weren't that good. Uh, agreed. But this is, the first, this is the first time in NFL history I really think you have guys like Tyrod, Sam Bradford, and Teddy Bridgewater just sitting there as backup Teddy quarterbacks. would have been perfect if they hadn't already traded him. Yeah, right. So, yeah, I think, I think you just take your losses. Yeah, but this, like, essentially with, with Jimmy G, this team is what? How many games have they lost already? Two. They're one and two. Yeah, so this team... No, they're zero oh and three, right? They beat the oh, Lions. they beat the Lions. Yeah, beat the Lions. So two. this team is one and two, after, with essentially Jimmy G. He, I right. mean, I don't think he was bringing them back against the Chiefs, even though it was heading in that direction a little right. bit. So I think if anything, these first three weeks has said you are not as good as one quarterback away, and that was when you had your one quarterback. So who the hell are you finding in a trade right, right now? It's going to fix that. Um, so for Mahomes, by far his worst game, still very good. Still very good statistically. That offense remains. Just three more touchdowns. Very scary. Very, very scary. Also, the thing that terrifies you as, an, uh, as the opposition, do you see the touchdown he scored where he was like 
running around like a lunatic in the backfield the way he did pretty much every play at Texas Tech. Yes. That's the thing he hasn't had to do yet at I the know. NFL level until that game. Unleashes a laser. But it might be the thing he's best at right? of, of anything. So it's like you haven't forced him to that well yet at the NFL level. But if you do, he may get even better. That's terrifying. What are you supposed to do with that? Yeah, so we're really having the opposite of analysis of what we had with it, like Deshaun Watson last year, where we're like, okay, the stats are still going to come down a little bit, but we like Mahomes has a lot of things pointing to. But again, dominating. So we 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 did this comparison a little bit on YouTube last week. It's is he the next Aaron Rodgers? Right. That's Aaron Rodgers like in terms of I don't know how to defend him. Like right. with everybody else. You at least have a blueprint, right? Whether you can achieve the blueprint or not is another question. Really good point. You at least know what to do. With Mahomes, how are you supposed to defend him? Because if you do manage to pressure him, like we've talked about, 45 50%, if you do manage to pressure this guy and get him moving around, he may be more dangerous that way. He still might crush you. Which is the same with Aaron Rodgers. The last thing you want to do is get him running around outside of the pocket because that's when he does all that crazy stuff. So how you, you can't just leave him in the pocket unmolested because then he'll carve you up. So what are you supposed to do with that guy? Mahomes is the same question for a defense now. I don't know how you're supposed to deploy your defense to combat Patrick Mahomes, and that makes him one of the most dangerous weapons in the game. That's the closest thing to Aaron Rodgers. It is. Right. That's what I'm saying. Um, still a small sample size. We keep saying this, but Mahomes <laughs> looks really good because of what you're saying. The next Aaron Rodgers. Speaking of Rodgers, um, he played well. The rest of the team struggled against Washington. That was a big surprising outcome, and Washington keeps – you know, a week ago, we're saying, oh, they have a playoff team, and then they lose to the Colts, and now they look like a playoff team again, and they're just up how many, uh How many Aaron Rodgers rule sack penalties do you think Clay Matthews is going to accumulate over the course of the season? That's brutal, man. Because that's two in two games now. That's brutal. You can't tackle a guy. We're not, I'm not talking about We're not talking <laughs> about this stuff. Um, Green Bay remains a weird team. Washington remains a weird team. It led to a weird outcome where I don't know that, like even in our grading, it doesn't necessarily say that Wa- Washington didn't really outgrade. Yeah. Or like that's, outplay Green Bay. That's one of those games where you look at the grading and you wouldn't have thought the Redskins won the game. Yeah. But uh, Washington did. They did find a way to win. Uh, the one last thing I think we should touch on is Andrew Luck going up against Carson Wentz. The kind of like Wentz is very luck-like in his uh, skill set. Carson Wentz makes his return. Looks okay. Looks mm-hmm. pretty good. And the Eagles find a way to win. Colts are now this weird team that actually has like a pretty good defense and a questionable offense that doesn't like to throw the ball beyond 10 yards. Yeah, well, they're protecting Andrew Luck because the offensive line is still a problem. Again, they're another team that hasn't been able to fix it in a year's worth of trying. Um, like the Raven Clark at left tackle is just a bad idea. Yeah, that's not good. That came back to bite on the last um, – was the last play from scrimmage? Luck gets sacked? Something like Derek that. Derek Barnett, um, Joe Haig, and uh, the Raven Clark. Yeah, not great. That's just, just – Going up against that Eagles defensive front – but like I said, the Colts are playing this kind of like old school cover two and keep it in front of you type of defense and playing it okay. Derek Barnett, by the way, crushing it this game. Now, I'm not saying that was connected to the terrible offensive line for the Colts, but, you know, that's going to help, right? He has another one of those. Yeah, he did great pretty well. A couple sacks, three uh, three hurries. Uh, yeah, I still, I still really like this Eagles defense. I, I don't think people should start forgetting the Eagles just because the Rams look so good and all that stuff. The Eagles are still very much... There's right too much. There. Yeah, there's too much talent on that team to write them off after a rough start. Right, um, especially as Wentz. I mean, you can't. I don't know what you expect from Wentz. His first time back yeah. and no preseason action. He and played, really okay. played okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see how he plays as he goes on. He gets you know he gets his feet under him. Yeah. What other games we got left? We got Ravens, Chicago, Broncos. Arizona, and Ravens, Dallas, Broncos. You know? Ravens, Broncos. Joe Flacco played well. Yeah. So he remains a roller coaster. Case Keenum. Uh, so the Broncos started to look like I expected the Broncos to look, which is not good. But the biggest story coming out of this game is that Von Miller had a bad game. He did. One of the worst games of his career. Von Miller graded badly, and Shane Ray graded well. You're like, are we absolutely certain we were having, you know, we were grading we the right the numbers, numbers there? Um, also, Bradley Chubb got his second sack, so he has now tied Derwin James. Okay. They're both tied. Mm-hmm. Just so you guys know, this is this needs to be something that we keep tally on over here. I yeah. was half joking before the draft. We should have a little tally in front of we'll your, have a little in tally. front of your uh, your laptop there. So, 
half joking before the draft, I said Derwin James is the best pass rush, is a better pass rusher than Bradley Chubb. There you go. That's half joking, but um, but like if it panned out, I would point back to it and say Steve's a genius. Half joking, you would absolutely claim it as a legitimate yeah. take if it worked out. That's how special I think Derwin James is. He's not truly a pass rusher; he's really a safety. But when he get when he was deployed as a pass rusher at Florida State, he was incredible. Mm-hmm. Through two weeks, Derwin James had two sacks. Bradley Chubb had one. Now, obviously, there's way more to pass rushing than that. But it was like a two-week victory for me, and there was actually people, Florida State fans, like pointing this out, like, Steve, take a victory lap. He's got more sacks than Chubb. So we'll keep track of it for their careers, just for fun. Bradley Chubb has two, Derwin James has two. They're not a million miles away in total pressures, either. Like, Derwin has six through three games. And Chubb has 11. Yeah. Like, it's not, I mean, okay, he's ahead, but it's not, it's not a million miles away. We'll keep, ta- we're going to keep tally on this thing. If Derwin was simply deployed as an edge defender, I mean, come on, he's probably, probably the next Von Miller. He could do it all. Pretty much. Uh, so that... Uh, so that is the thing. Von Miller did have a bad game. Broncos did not look good. Uh, Seattle, my note is that I think the whole roster looks bad except for Russell Wilson and their safeties. Yeah. I mean, that's standard, right? Bradley McDougald grading really well. Earl Thomas grading extremely well, both 90-plus. Tyler Lockett's been good. Yeah, I mean, I was exaggerating a little bit. Bobby <laughs> Wagner had an outstanding game, and uh, Dallas just looks completely inept on offense. Yeah, I mean, it, the the Dak Prescott thing is legit, right? It's getting kind of concerning at this point that he may just suck. No, the playmakers, man. You have to factor in the playmakers. Although, Mike Renner's big listen, Mike Renner's big hot take was that his inability to take shots down the field, yeah. which was an issue the first couple of years. He's also been missing the playmakers. No, I get it. But his inability to take shots down the field is holding Dallas back. That was Mike's take. And when you look at Dak, we said he had, does not take a lot of chances down the field. And when you're protecting him with the run game the first couple of years and the game flows okay, you can hide that work play action and all that fun stuff like they did in week two. But we want to look at the playmakers. We want to look at the playmakers and say they're the problem because we don't really know them, right? They're not household names. It's not a Des Bryant there. But Dak Prescott is missing these guys wide open. Michael Gallup on a comeback is five yards of separation versus the cornerback, and Dak underthrows it by like six yards. That's not a that's not a playmaker problem. That's a your quarterback sucks problem. Yeah, I understand. I'm just it's easy to jump to the playmakers thing because they're not household names, but I don't know that they're bad players. I, and I don't know it, that we can know because Dak Prescott is playing so badly. I think it works hand in hand though. Last game. Bears Cardinals. Um the first place Chicago Bears because the rest of the yeah. NFC North is terrible. I'm still extremely concerned with how bad Mitch Trubisky's playing. Like, uh, just yeah. many times I'm yelling at the TV, what are you thinking, Mitch, Mitchell? What are you thinking? He's playing extremely poorly, the lowest-graded quarterback in the NFL by a wide margin right now. This, Arif, but the defense is keeping him in. Arif Hassan thing that he discovered that Mitchell Schwartz can't actually throw to his left? Trubisky. Mitchell, Schwartz probably yeah. can't. Schwartz, do. Schwartz probably can't throw to his left either. He's an offensive lineman. Mitch Trubisky um, can't throw to his left is now that he said it, I can't stop checking it, and it's still there. This week, uh, he was, what, four from seven going to his left, but those four passes went for 16 yards. Yeah. So to his left, out of 220 yards this week, he threw for, for 16. On the season. He's and there's one an interception in there. He's one for five on the season with, for 10 yards, beyond 10 yards. Yeah, well, this far. is all passes, and they all came with, under 10 yards and they all they went for a total of 16 yards and a pick that that's weird right why would a quarterback not be able to throw to his left i think deep middle is just as concerning oh for four well yeah there's other concerning elements there but now i can't stop thinking about the not able to throw left thing and i think part of it is because he's actually really good throwing on the run to his right so a lot of his passes do end up getting thrown that way boot action and everything um, he just seems like a guy right now that really needs to be protected. Really, just needs well in the script. That's the kind of concerning thing is yeah. that you have this scheme that should be amongst the most effective in the league. You have an offensive line that's okay. It's not great, but it's not bad. Um, you have a running game that's really good. Jordan Howard, Tariq Cohen, those two together are pretty formidable. And the defense has suddenly become a strength, a massive strength because you get Khalil Mack. That's the missing piece to this unit. The defensive front is dominating. Akeem Hicks, Eddie Goldman. Um, you know, the linebackers are good. The secondary has remained strong. Everything is in place now, and the whole thing was going to be how good can Mitchell Trubisky be given this situation. And so far, the answer has been not good at all. And the story was going to be, well, just like Alex Smith got elevated by a Matt Nagy offense and a bunch of really good playmakers, that's what would happen to Trubisky. Yeah. It just has not happened. No, and the, 
that was the thing. It was the Bears are going to go as far as Mitchell Trubisky allows them to go this season, and so far that's not going. First place well. Bears, though. Yeah. First place Bears. Um, they're gonna they're gonna be in every game, I think, because of this defense. Though. The Cardinals legitimately threw Rosen out there to like bring the game back in the two minute drill. It wasn't a great situation for the kid. That feels harsh. No. So I'm also I'm not. There's a lot of people that are really high on Rosen. I th- I think there's just so many question marks to his game. I like Rosen. We still put him as a first rounder, but um, this this falls under the category of really bad situation to be thrown at. Very into. bad situation to be thrown and into. And I'm not ta- I'm not even talking about the two minute drill now. I'm talking like period. This Cardinals offense throwing the rookie yes. out there. That's horrible. Well, again, in in my years of a, being a, a somewhat Sam Bradford apologist, I said if everything around him is okay, he'd be okay. Whatever. This is one of the worst supporting casts you could put him in front of, and he's been a disaster. And um, Rosen, I assume, is going to be starting going forward with a terrible offensive line and questionable playmakers, and it, and it could be an ugly rookie season. 23 total pressures the Cardinals line allowed against the Bears. So, again, that's more than double your usual yeah. average uh, offensive that's, line. Uh, a lot of our preseason O-line analysis has been right on, I would say, as far as um, from a broad team standpoint. Yeah, we haven't updated the numbers um, this week, but just looking at them now, they are now 32nd in terms of pass blocking efficiency. Any number in the 60s is bad. A number of 59, I think, is pretty much unheard of in terms of horrific pass blocking efficiency, but that's where the Cardinals are, which is below the disastrous Houston offensive line, which is at 66. So they've allowed 51 total pressures across three games, and now you're going to throw the rookie out behind that? I mean, that's just harsh could be ugly but who knows so last year at this time we were saying hey jimmy g with this san francisco night uh supporting cast who knows and jimmy g made him look better so see if rosen can help just yeah. a little bit do we hit every game we're trying to give some love to everybody i think this so week. i think we got them all right. awesome let's wrap it up then yeah thanks to everybody for tuning in we're going to be back again next week for the week four preview later in the week week four preview thanks to everybody for listening Enjoy your week. Get to ProFootballFocus.com. Get your PFF Elite Package. All of the grades should be finalized by the time you listen to this podcast. PFF Elite. Get your premium stats 2.0. Make your game picks with Greenline. It's all a part of the Elite Package. And go check out the YouTube channel as well. All right, guys. We'll talk later in the week. Quick break to tell you guys about NFL Game Pass, the only way that you can replay every game all season long. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. So every game that we're talking about right now, you guys can rewatch it after the fact. I'm going to be going back, and you guys can too. Go check out Lamar Jackson in week one. Go check out Dak Prescott and what that Cowboys offense actually did go check out kyler murray and his nfl debut that's my favorite thing about nfl game pass you can go back and watch at any time and if you haven't watched a condensed game yet you have to try it out it's every play from the game back to back to back so you can replay an entire nfl game in the fraction of the time it normally takes it's how i'm able to follow all the mvp candidates all the breakout stars and of course your waiver wire pickups all season long to see all the action this season and stay on top of all the big storylines, you need NFL Game Pass. Best of all, you can kick off the 2019 NFL season with a seven-day free trial of NFL Game Pass. Just sign up now at nfl.com slash pro football focus NFL.